morning. Uh, Welcome to church. I think the spirit arrived. Um, Welcome to church. Wasn't that a lovely time of worship and praise? Praise the Lord. So lovely. Thank you, Sarah, for leading us and um, for being uh, so faithful in your prayers. We are praying for a number of families that are struggling and we're believing. And one thing, if you're new to Willow Park Church, I just want to welcome you and say that one thing we do love to do is to pray and is to seek the Lord and to step in. And if you haven't been engaging with our prayer summits, our Willow One prayers, the end of uh, the month, we have seen some beautiful things, uh, beautiful answers to prayer because the Lord hears your prayers. And Truly, if you are here this morning, we want to welcome you and just say to you that whatever you are facing in your life, whatever you are going through, whatever situation you have, there is hope. There is hope and you are loved and you are welcome here. And as we gather together, we want to encourage you. We're on a very interesting journey in this uh, season of teaching We've been working our way through the whole of the, um, whole of the Bible, really, but talking about the covenants that God has placed. And for some of you, this language may be quite interesting. By covenants, I mean the promises right from Eden, right the way there in the beginning, God promised that he would send a redeemer, that he would send an answer to evil and the pain in this world. And we've been reminded again and again that the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Glenn preached last week on the Abrahamic covenant and how we see that playing out in the sense of the the promise of a land, the promise of being a blessing, the promise of a seed that will come and bless all nations that through this man God, that through the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, all nations will be blessed, all people will be blessed, people experience hope. And maybe this language to you at times feels a little bit distant, you don't always understand it. Let me encourage you to watch back on the series, and as you re-watch, take time to think through, because what we're trying to communicate is that God, from the beginning right to the end, God has a plan. And that God is at work. And that plan, of course, is there in the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of our sermons, although we're rooted in the Old Testament, are are landing with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. Jesus is our Saviour. Jesus came to me as a broken teenager with no hope and no religion and no faith. And turned my life upside down and gave me hope. And at that moment, boy, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Of who he is. Love him. And so we're on this journey to show to you that through, even through, often people write the Old Testament off, but through the Old Testament, God's message of grace, God's message of hope, God's message and covenant and promise was at work, is at work, and will be completed in the very end when God sets the reset button. So 
I am going to be stepping in as we step into uh, this particular session into the Mosaic Covenant as we start to look. Now, let me just say, for those who are visiting, those who are members, uh, I've been away for a couple of weeks on holiday. Thank you for asking me how our holiday went. It was awesome. Thank you. Yes, we went to Tofino. <laughs> Uh, Justin Trudeau goes there apparently, and uh, but he was somewhere else apparently, and and we I was surfing, yeah, a surf pastor. The hardest thing about surfing with a 15-year-old son is getting into the wetsuit. Honestly, I'll be. I was humbled. I was humbled by the surf. Humbled. I don't think I actually managed, although my. My surfboard was nine feet long and nine feet wide. I didn't really manage to stand up on it. I, was, I did very well on my knees, I, which I, is a good metaphor for my spiritual life, I have to say. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you, um, that thank you for asking, and we did have a refreshing time, came back, feel really refreshed. Where are we going to start? Moses. We know in the Abrahamic covenant, we know that the Lord promised Abraham. Now let me just say something about the Abraham covenant, is that it's unconditional. In other words, God will fulfill it. God has fulfilled it. God is there. When we approach the Mosaic covenant and understand that, there it is conditional. And what we're going to focus on is the question, well, there is Abraham, as we heard. Abraham is in the promised land. He has traveled from the ancient land of Ur, and he has come down into Israel, and there God came to him and spoke to him nine wonderful promises. And as he spoke to him, he said, this land I will give to you, and it will be blessed. And you will be a blessing to all nations. And you will bless all nations. And from you will come a great blessing. A seed that will come and a kingdom and a king that will last forever. This is the very heart of this. And God will bring this all together. And he is bringing it together. And of course we know that, that the fulfillment of that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ came to the world. But we get, we'll get there. But then a strange thing happened with the patriarchs. Jacob, Joseph, the family end up in Egypt. So God gives them the land and then for 400 years they're in Egypt. And it makes you wonder when you're reading the Bible, what is going on here? What's taking place? I mean... Here's the gift of the land, Abraham. Here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to, to work through. And here you are. You find yourself in Egypt. And you find yourself in the center of the ancient world superpower. And as you're in the center of the ancient world superpower, you are there for 400 years. What is the purpose of this? You've promised us the land, but you've taken us out of the land and you've put us in another land for 400 years. What are you doing? Have you ever asked that question yourself? God, you promised this and I find myself here. What are you doing? What is this about? Well, there are two reasons why God took the patriarchs of 70 of them into the land for 400 years. Reason number one is 
Very simple. Exodus 14.4. I will get glory over Pharaoh and all the hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. The first reason is that the Lord is teaching Israel about him so that they may know him. You see, the land will be fulfilled. This will take place. But the one objective of God is that they would know him. That his people can know him. Now, what did he want to know? Not only that they would know him, but that the nations of the world would know of the Lord. And that is always God's objective whenever we engage in the world. First of all, he wants you and I to really, really know him. And he wants the people to know him. It's about knowing God. It's about that relationship. It's about that personal connection. It's about that remarkable message that we preach, that we're not living religion. We are living a glorious relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That it's, a, it's an intimacy. It's a closeness that God is with us. And even there in the Old Testament, I want to remind you that God wanted them. He wanted them. He was, he was present. He wants them to know. Also, he wants all the nations of the world to know how good our God is. Two reasons. But when we look at the reasons, let's break them down. First of all, he wants to teach them something about covenant, about promise. That as this story unfolds from the very beginning of Eden all the way to the final moments of the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, he wants to remind them one thing, that God is faithful, he keeps his covenant, he keeps his promises. And sometimes even in our lives, we doubt the promise of God. We doubt the promises that are there in Scripture. We doubt that God's going to come through. And maybe you're facing your problem, your difficulties, and it's tough. But I want to remind you that the Lord is with you. The Lord loves you. The Lord is there. And that you can trust the promises of the Lord in your life. You can trust what God did in you. The second reason is... He wanted to show his power. He wanted to show Pharaoh. He wanted to show all of the world, all of the nations, that not only is he a God that keeps his promises, but he's a God that moves in power and he continues to move in power. We're not talking just like a localized God or one of the ancient gods of Egypt or Mesopotamia or these pagan gods that were, were present and local and global, they thought, or, or local tribal gods that was happening in the ancient world. What he wanted to be clear is, I am the God and I keep my promise and I am all powerful. Not only am I all powerful, but I am also compassionate. And God would show his compassion. He would show his love for the world. He would show his compassion for Israel. He would show his compassion. And not only that, but that he is the Lord that would be with Israel here and now and that he would answer their prayers, that he would come to them, that he would rescue them and that he would be with them. And as, even as they left Egypt, incredible thing was that, that people in Egypt believed, that people joined, that we have this, this idea and, and 
Exodus 18, 9, 12 says, Jethro was delighted. This is the father-in-law of Moses who was not part of the Jewish nation. But Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. See, what God wants to do whether it's on a Jethro micro level, the father-in-law who isn't a believer, who doesn't understand, who is watching this all unfold, suddenly turns around and goes, now I see it, now I believe it, that the Lord is God above all other gods, I see it. And right there you have God's mission. That he wants to show through Israel, through the journey of, of Moses, through the Israelites, to the whole ancient world, that he is God, that he is Lord, and he will be with them. Now, you might have a father-in-law like that that needs God. I don't know if you do. My father-in-law really needed God. Honestly, Michelle's dad, oh, he's now in heaven, which tells you the end of the story, uh, but... But he was, he was like a, a bouncer. He, was a, he had his own haulage company. He was a tough guy. He, he, he roaded for all the bands in the 60s except for the Beatles. I mean, who cares about them? And all the bands and Rolling Stones and all of that and was a, a, a tough man. And, and God humbled him. He saw the power of the Lord save his child. He saw the power of the Lord enter his wife. And this tough, hard man one day looked in the mirror. And for one moment, it was as if he said, I saw Jesus behind me. And I fell on the ground. And I knew that the Lord was God. And he gave his life to Jesus. Honestly. And if we understand that what God wants to do is reveal to the nations. He wants to show them. Even Jethro, I now know that you are God. So the point is, is that God wants to confirm that he keeps covenants. He wants to show his power, which he did through taking them out. He wants to show his compassion. He wants to show that he answers prayer. And he wants to show that he is sovereign Lord over everything. I think this should give us comfort today. Because so many Christians are losing focus and following in the wrong direction. And we want to remind ourselves that God will fulfill his promises in all nations. And that God will answer our prayers. And he will come. And he will speak. But of course, what it's about is about land in this story. And it was simple. God gave them the land. He was now taking them out of Egypt after 400 years. And he was going to give them the promised land. But this was with conditions. And the condition was this, that you obey me, that you keep me as the one God, that you do not follow the gods of the ancient world, that you are focused and you are clear and you commit yourself to me and you have no other gods before me and you follow my decrees, you follow my commandments. And they left Egypt in all the glory, in all the victory, in the miracle. I mean, 
mean, it's an amazing thing that the, the, the nation left, but they weren't even a nation then. They were a group of people loosely held together by an Abrahamic promise 400 years earlier that God was going to do something the Moses turns up, he leads this group of, of these people who had lived in, in, in Egypt for so long and he led them to the mount and the mount was Sinai. And they arrive there, this rabble, this group, this group of ex-slaves, this group of lost souls, this group who had no hope, who had no, no direction except a man, Moses, with a long beard and a staff blowing in the wind, if you watch Charleston Heston, and arrives. And there the Lord meets with Moses and gives them the law, gives them the commandments, gives them the means. Now, so often we look at the moment on Sinai as a negative thing. We got the law. Whoa! Can I tell you that the moment on Sinai was not a negative thing? It was the most beautiful, the most graceful, the most glorious moment because on that mountain when they received the commandments, they received the instructions, they received the tabernacle. This was the greatest gift that God could give these people because he turned them from a rabble into a nation. You see, if you read ancient history, as many of you might or might not, you'll discover that the ancient gods were difficult. That there was no certainty. Whether they were gods of Egypt or gods of Mesopotamia, whether it was Ra, Hakatar of, of Egypt, whether it was uh, the different gods, when you studied and understand it, there was no certainty, there was no hope, they had no idea how to engage, they didn't know what pleased gods, they didn't know how to engage with gods. The only people that could engage with these ancient gods were, were priests and kings and the rest of the people were nothing. And there on the mountain, God came down, spoke to Moses and gave a gift of grace and said, I am going to teach you how to live. I'm going to teach you how to worship and I am going to be in the midst of you and my presence will dwell with you. You see, the rest of the world was uncertain about how to find life and salvation and God on that mountain, on Sinai, brought certainty, brought blessing, brought direction and they left that spot knowing who their God was and how they could engage with their Lord. So often... We just dismiss the Old Testament moment. But it's at our peril. Because what it gave at that moment was a, a gift that every ancient person ever wanted, was how can I actually know my God? And the Lord gave them that gift in the ancient world. This is how you know what to do, what is right. And it's a question we ask today. How can I actually know God? You can know God by staring into the face of Jesus. You can know God by understanding who Jesus Christ is. You can know God by experiencing him. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So he gave them the land. 
The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine. God and you are but aliens and my tenants. What the Lord in the Mosaic Covenant wanted them to know was this. that The land is yours, but you are tenants. And you have to act correctly. The whole world is the Lord's and all that is in it. And sometimes we need to be reminded that fact that all is the Lord's, that everything is the Lord's and all that is in it. And then he placed Israel in that place and he said, this is your land, but I have given it to you. And often we forget that actually God has given the land and the nations and nations and land to all nations. He said to the Moabites, this is your land over here and the descendants of Lot. And you will go there and you must not touch that land. Even the Philistines, he said, this is your land. This is your land. He, the Most High, gave the nations their inheritance. He fixed the borders of the people. He did do this habitually. He set Israel at the center of the nation. Now, why did he set Israel at the center of the nations? He set Israel at the center of the nations because he wanted them to be a nation of priests who declared the glory of God so that the world would know how great God is and all the nations would know God. But of course, there were conditions. The conditions are, you obey my ways, you obey my commandments, you live correctly. There is a standard you have to keep. There is a knowledge of that standard because I've laid it out. You mustn't compromise. You mustn't take other idols. You mustn't dilute and become polluted. Otherwise, you will face judgment. And often we forget that the reason Israel existed and the reason God gave them the land was that they would be a blessing to all <clears throat> nations. That they would be a blessing. But of course we know that when they turned completely against the Lord, the northern kingdom disappeared. And we know that when they, they rebelled, the Judah, went, Judah went into exile for 70 years. We know that there were consequences because the point was the land is yours, but it's conditional and it's conditional on your obedience to me and living correctly and honoring me as your God, as your number one, as your Lord. So the point has always been through the Abrahamic blessing and all the way is that Israel must be a blessing. It must be a blessing. Now you might say to yourself, well, how do you mean they're a blessing? What? How can you say they were the means by which the Lord would communicate his goodness to the world? The means by which he would declare the goodness of God. The means by which this people would show all the nations the goodness of God. And even as, as, as we heard about Nineveh some weeks ago, about how when he preached in Nineveh and the, and the whole city turned to the Lord in, the, in that beautiful, beautiful moment of revival and repentance that all the nations would know that they would know and be blessed by the means of Israel. And today you might say, well, how does that work? Well, I want to remind you four things. First of all, I am blessed 
personally through Israel because they took the Bible and as they took the Bible, they wrote it down in Babylon and they put all the stories together and they put all the truth together and we today have the Bible and the Bible is the greatest blessing that we have and the Bible is life. The Bible is our, is our truth. The Bible guides us and leads us. What a blessing is that we've got the Bible, right? That's number one. Otherwise, I'd be like a pagan trying to wander around in the dark. Like those ancients wondering, how on earth can you appease the gods? Well, you don't have to appease them. You can know the Lord through the gift of Scripture. The second reason is that we have been blessed because we can see God's interaction with his people and how that took place. And we watch it unfold. We watched it take place. We can see how they were in Egypt for 400 years, but God then promised and brought deliverance. We can see how they, they lived under kings, but then they rebelled and the northern kingdom was taken away and, and the southern kingdom was taken into captivity for 70 years. So many nations have been taken into captivity. If you read ancient history, so many groups of people were taken, relocated, never to appear again. So many little nations and tribes disappeared and you've never heard of them. But for some reason, this little kingdom in southern Judah went to Babylon and God did the miracle and brought them back and gave them back their land and gave them back their temple because they got their act together in Babylon and they realise that the only way true to truly to live is to serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's, it, I mean, you can't think of any nation that has been deported and then allowed to come back and allowed to rebuild everything. It's a miracle. And I watched that unfold and then of course they came back and they they were devoted and that devotion became legalism towards the end and the Messiah came. Of course, they rejected the Messiah and we know the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 and we know that for 1900 years never existed and then a remarkable thing happened. The nation of Israel in 1948 was re-established. Don't you think God's got a plan? That even after 1900 years, God keeps his promise. He keeps his covenant because God's not finished in what he wants to achieve in this world. It's staggering, really. And you look at it and you think, wow. So, okay. So, we got the Bible. We got to see everything being played out. What's the third thing, and probably the most glorious thing? It was there in Bethlehem that the Lord Jesus Christ was born. The Messiah came. He came, he lived in, in Israel, he walked the streets, he preached, he taught, he showed us the true message. He came, he was crucified, and on the third day he rose again. Now that is remarkable. And so I look at this and say, yes, I've been blessed. I've been blessed because of the scriptures. I've been blessed because I see the story. I've been blessed because of the Son of God coming to this world. And the third, fourth reason that I'm being blessed is because out of Israel, out of Jerusalem, and this may surprise you, but I want to say it with all my heart, 
God gave the gift of the church to the world. And the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost. And I see what the church can achieve when it is a place of love, when it's a place of good news, when it's a place of grace. I see what the church achieved through the great movements and reforms, through the decisions and through small groups of mercy and love, what they can do in neighborhoods, what the church can do amongst children, bringing hope and education in slums and poverty, what the church can do amongst youth as we give them hope and life, what the church can do for families, what the church can do for the elderly. In fact, if you were to add up all the things that the Church of Canada does for God in Canada, people may call for the end of the church, but the church throughout history in so many ways has blessed this world immensely. But there is a danger, and we know the dark side of the church. We know the narratives of the residential schools. We know the desperate pain of the other side, of saints that have been glorious and bullies that have been horrific. But still, today I love the church. I love the church because as a lost teenager, I came and joined the church, and that church became my family, and that church... And church has been my family for the last 35 years. I've never hated the church. Never despised it. I see its pain. I see its problems. But we're all people, isn't it? It's just people. It's just people. And so we were designed to be blessed. Blessed of all nations. And that all nations would be blessed. And of course, Acts, when Paul preached in Athens, he looked at this and he said to them as he was preaching to the Athenians, one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them, the exact places where they should live. One of us, God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each. And when we look at the nations and how God has placed the nations, the reason nations are there, the reasons nations exist, all go back to the nation of Israel, of course, and God says, I've placed nations. Why? Because I want nation after nation after nation to discover the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, when Israel rebelled and they shed innocent blood, and they made those decisions. The northern kingdom disappeared. And God worked with that remnant. But it was the acts of disobedience. It was no wonder that Jesus looked to that wonderful woman at the well. And said, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. The words of Jesus. Salvation. And that's why we've got to be good news people. That's why we've got to see the plan that God was moving to touch the nations. That's why we want to reach out and make the difference. But I want to remind you as I finish. 
and I promise I will finish, I want to remind you that God's not over with the story. Yes, the Mosaic Covenant was this. I will give you the land, but you must be obedient. And if you're not obedient, then you'll be scattered. And if you keep being disobedient, but I will gather you back again. And there's a scattering and a gathering because the way that you live and what I expect of you has consequences. Follow what I've laid down. Be faithful to that and my presence will dwell in the middle of you. I think for us as Christians today, we can take so many lessons, can't we? We have to be a people that walk in humble obedience to the Lord Jesus. We have to work with all our heart to live out what he taught us to do, although we fail. We want to live a different life. We want to live a life that shines. We want to live a life like a small little nation that through our actions, through our words, through the way that we are, speaks life, speaks salvation, speaks joy, that as a church we would be good news bringers, that we would change the city we live in, that we would reach out, that we would serve not only in words but in deeds, that we would be this holy holy nation of priests, the church of God, living in the world, fulfilling God's objectives for the world. But I will say this as I close. That God is not finished with Israel yet. And by I say, God's not finished his story. Because we know that one day, all the nations will turn as the prophet Zechariah said in verse 2, For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city shall be taken, and the houses plundered, and the women raped. Half of the city shall go out in exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. There will be a time, as we know, where, where the nations will turn, where we will feel this moment at the end, when the story is coming to a completion. And I'm not saying I have all the facts, and I don't know when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to return. And Jesus said, I don't even know. He said, the only people that know as my father knows that day and a couple of American evangelists. But beyond that, only I know the day. Beware. But I don't know the day, but I know what the scriptures teach. I know that it teaches one day that the heavens will open and our Lord Jesus Christ will return. And it will return at that moment when Jerusalem is under siege, when all the nations have come and there is a great battle and the city is split in half. And then it says that the Lord will come to fight on behalf and the Lord will return and the Lord will set his new kingdom, a kingdom that will last forever. The divanic kingdom that comes next week will be established and there all the nations will see the glory of the Lord. So God's not finished with the world. And today we're a little frightened of talking about Jesus returning. And I, I, as I say, I'm, I'm not going to give you any 
dates and theories and ideas, but what I do know is that the reason we preach the second coming of Jesus because it's to remind the world and to call people to serve Jesus Christ. My niece never believed in God. She came and stayed with us about five years ago. Walked, no... And, and I had... You know, as a pastor, sometimes you have strange appointments with some people. It was very interesting. I'm going to upset some people now, I know. And this person came into my room and wanted to explain to me all about something called blood moons. Okay? So he wrote it all out. He got a massive sheet. He did this. He gave me dates. He gave me everything. And I was like, mm, mm, okay? And told me the time it was all going to happen. I... I was very nice, and I, I had a very nice conversation. It was most interesting. But I was like, hmm, I know how to prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he taught us after Matthew chapter 24. He said, you don't waste your talents. Use your talents. Care for the needy and the poor. And he said, visit those in prison and do that. And he said, don't be found in the dark like the virgins that have your lamp full of oil. Directly after the teaching of the second coming, he says, this is how to live and that's how I should live. But I went back and, I, and she said to me, how was your day? I said, I had a really interesting day. This lovely guy, he's got all this stuff, stuff I'd never heard of, some of it, and explained to me about this and the coming of Jesus and mapped it all out and did all of this and she and then she looked at me and she said oh, go on tell me more and she looked me in the face and she said I want to give my life to Jesus now it's like really? really? yeah and at that Mission Creek on one bench she sat down with Michelle and she gave her life to the Lord Jesus Christ it's marvellous. I thought, Phil, you know, okay, you need to talk about Jesus is coming again. Because he's coming again. And all the nations will see. And he is coming again. And there in Jerusalem. And there at that point. And she's coming back this September. And she's now decided to get baptised. So, hallelujah. I'm like, mm, I was really humbled by that. I told the guy as well. It's like, that was really good. And I didn't understand half of it. But um, I did mention it to my niece and she gave her life to Jesus. And she's kept the faith ever since. I say all of this to say that God has a plan. God will keep his promises to us. God's not finished. All the nations will gather. There'll be a great day. The Lord will return and the nations will believe. That's what the prophets teach us. And you can trust God's promises. You can trust God's power. You can trust God's compassion. You can trust him that he answers your prayers and you can trust him that he is sovereign.
and we'll carry on next week. Let's pray. As we pause, God has plans for all the nations of the world. As we pause, maybe you didn't understand all of what I've communicated. And I'm sorry about that because we're, we are di digging deep, but uh, take the essence of what I'm saying and consider it yourself now if you're new to the faith. And this is what I'm trying to say to you. From the beginning to the end, God has a plan. And you can trust that plan. You needn't be afraid of this world and what is happening even today but you can trust that there's a God that keeps his promises. That wants to come to you in power. That is compassionate towards you. You can communicate through prayer. And you can know that he's got it all under control. And so I just ask you now, will you please stop wandering in your faith and step into the mighty story of God's kingdom coming to this world. Live a life of deep devotion to Jesus. Maybe you're not even a Christian this morning. You can make that decision this morning. Maybe you are far off from God, raised in church, but you've stumbled into this church. And you've listened to this English guy preach. But you know that today is your day to live for Jesus 100%. Today is the day of choice for you. And that's good. Because we all need to make a choice to say yes to Jesus. Whether we don't know him or whether we've drifted from him. The Lord has won the battle. The Lord has won the battle. We know the end of the story. So just pause. We have a moment of silence. And if you need to pray and talk to God now, do it now. And give your whole life to Him. And pour out your heart. Tell Him your life. Tell Him why you've wandered. Tell him why you've never bothered and ask him to forgive you. But say yes.
Maybe you don't even know what to pray. I prayed a really simple prayer as a son of an atheist. Dear Lord Jesus, I said, you can take this prayer. I'm sorry for the way that I've lived. And this morning I choose to give my whole life to you, Lord Jesus. Forgive me of all that I've done wrong, my sins. Come to me and be real to me. As you gave yourself for me upon that cross, I give myself totally to you. I choose Jesus this morning. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, come and talk to me at the end. Be outside. Fill in card that is there. I came, I prayed, I'd like to chat with a pastor. I, I, I would gladly chat with anybody who's on the journey. The other pastors will. We're here for you. And we're on the journey. And next week, the Divinic Covenant. Very exciting. Ben got to preach the Abrahamic. It's awesome. Jordan's in the Divinic. They get all the really exciting ones. But we're going to keep going. Let's stand together and finish on a note of victory.